0: I'm going to hit the gym at 5.30 every morning. Followed by a cold shower. But I'll start tomorrow. I'm going to clean out the garage, and if you saw mine. And I'm going to keep it spotless. And I'll start tomorrow. I'm going to give up chocolate. Tomorrow. Somebody said, and it's a good old saying, a New Year's resolution goes in one year and out the other. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? Well, goals for sustaining maturity. Goals for sustaining maturity, which seems to imply at least that we want to make some progress in our Christian lives this coming year. I'm sure you're familiar with this uh, poetic frustration as I read it to you, and it may reflect what's happened last year. Someone's writing about his relationship with his colleague and friend, and he says, around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and weeks fly on. I never see my friend's face. For life is such a swift and relentless race. He knows I like him just as well in the days when I rang his bell. And he called too in days back then. But now we are just tired and busy men. Tired of playing a foolish game. Tired of trying to make a name. Tomorrow... I'll say, I'll call on Jim to show that I still think of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes. And the distance between us just grows and grows. And that frustration is felt by people who seem to feel paralysed to do anything about it. One thing we know that life is short and time is elusive. So, if you have something unique to give, family or friend, then you should give it with grace. And if you have something to say that has been left unsaid for too long, then you should say it with love. And if you have something to do that you have left undone, then you should just do it. Do it because you own Christ's name. And do it in his power, which will have a greater impact. We are using Philippians 3, verses 7 to 16, only as a focus for some of the things that have been mentioned by way of introduction now. Goals for sustaining maturity. You see, like the resolutions, we can be good starters, and thank God for that, but bad finishers. The challenge of the sermon is that we are both. We shouldn't be cynical about people who don't quite make it. Better to aim and miss than to sit back in some passive complacency and criticize others for their mistakes. Why is it that many people who confess to be Christian folk and regular at church tend to resist spiritual maturity? Tend to not get involved in praying. Tend to leave other people to do the busyness of sustaining church. In all my life that is something I suppose I will never fully appreciate or understand. Why is it? Let me pose four questions in the light of that in a general sense. Would you consider yourself to be teachable? Would you consider yourself to be Teachable. Well think about it now as you are and then sometime today ask someone else. Ask someone else and see if you have come up with the same answer. Secondly, what has God been teaching you more recently? Look at your life in the big picture but more particular. And is there a practical outcome? Has God challenged you about uh, your life? That you say, yes, I know, I tend to be passive. I know that I tend to look on. I'm going to get involved. Or if the truth be told, actually you are less involved. And maybe God hasn't been teaching you anything at all that has a practical outcome. Thirdly, What circumstances, what circumstances have spurred you on to maturity in this sense that if you have a short fuse, the fuse is a bit longer? If you tend to be far too talkative, now you're actually beginning to listen a bit more, or or the converse of that. And fourthly, under what circumstances would you tend to drift What sort of company do you keep? What sort of films do you watch? What sort of books do you read? Under what circumstances do you tend to drift? And what would you want to do about it? The the truth is, all of us have too much baggage. And in this year, we can lighten our load. We can lighten our load. So... The challenge for sustained spiritual maturity is one that I want us to think about briefly. And when you think about the stages of life from birth and infancy, childhood, adolescence and adulthood. That's all part of maturing. The danger is that we can so easily regress and adult people behave like children. So let's look at four items that come out of the reading that enable us to sustain this maturity. And Paul, if you like, like the great physician, uh, is, is prescribing something that will enable us to sustain our faith and our confidence in this coming year. Four things. The first is this. Look at uh, Philippians 3 and verse 12. There's, no, there's nothing more irritating and and difficult than being in the company of people who give you the impression that they've got it all. And I hope that if you are with such people, then you should say to them, "And why is your life so screwed up if you've got it all? Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The plan is progress and we are to pursue it. We are to press on. Actually what Paul is doing is making two admissions of his imperfection. Making progress and pressing on can be painful, challenging and they can be and they can be personally disappointing for you and for the people you have to live with John Newton who was so influential in William Wilberforce who in turn was so influential in the abolition in the abolition of child slavery in this country Wilberforce developed a motto, a dictum, and it was this, make goodness attractive, make goodness attractive, and even though Wilberforce struggled with chronic ill health, it was his passion, it was his passion. To make progress and to pursue it. We're well, coming back to John Newton, 1725. He was struggling as a Christian. And out of it comes a hymn. And it's, the, it's this. I ask the Lord that I might grow in grace and faith and love. That I might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. And he pauses in this hymn and he says, "Now It was he who taught me thus to pray and he, I hope, has answered prayer but it has been in such a way as drove me to despair. Then he says this. These inward trials, what the Christian calls the, the, the sanctified life, the life of growing in grace. These inward trials I employ from sin and self to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may seek your all in me. Isn't it amazing that some people have the gift to do that with well-chosen words that's become a hymn that helps Christian people to say, here I am, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and why is all this happening to me? Have you ever thought it might be an answer to prayer rather than a source of complaining? We are not super saints. We have feet of clay. But steady and sustained growth is prescribed by Paul here. Don't put it off. Press on. Pursue the greater and have done with the lesser. The plan is progress. And so Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already made perfect. So all this, the things that have gone and I'm not perfect. I was telling somebody recently about the great John stopped at the age of 70 at a conference said, my great prayer is that I will not fall on the last hurdle. So when we think about uh, growing in grace, that's a good sermon for young people. Not so. Retired folk for 10, 15 years, as much for you as anybody else, as anybody else. The second thing here would be this, the past is over, forget it. Now, this is a bigger challenge. It's because of the way that we are made, the way that I suppose we are predisposed. But, but here it is, what does he say? Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. I've got many things to do. Okay, get down to the one thing. The one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining to, to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. And that's where we borrowed this heading from. The goal. The prize. The past is over. Forget it. Forget it. It's hard to have self-imposed senior moments. You have them and you wish that you didn't. Listen to this. A lady is speaking and she's reflecting on her senior moments. And she says, I've had two bypass surgeries, a hip replacement and new knees. I'm half-blind, can't hear very well. My medication sometimes makes me dizzy. I can't remember whether I'm 84 or 94. And I've lost some of my friends, but thank goodness I still have my driving license. (laughs) Well, there you are. You weren't expecting that, were you? You have senior moments when you think, how could I forget that? And you're disappointed. This is the opposite. You choose to forget. And that's a bit more demanding. Maybe you say it's not possible. I want to challenge that premise. Now, the past is over. Forget it. What is Paul saying here in verse uh, 13? To forget what lies behind. Think about that for a moment. What lies behind. And to emphasise his point, he uses an interesting word about forgetting. It means to be absolute and complete. Think of a race, and that's the analogy here in these verses. The race, once you're in the front, whether it's a marathon or whatever, the lead runner doesn't keep looking back. If you do, you are going to miss the prize altogether. You don't keep looking back. What are you doing? You are focused on that tape. And if it's a marathon, will you actually break through it at all? In our Christian lives, we don't need to keep looking back. And if we are to press on towards an eternal tape, then we must refuse to focus on yesterday if we keep looking back over our shoulders, either at our achievements or our failures, then we miss out. Let me put it to you like this. To glory in past achievements only makes us proud and perhaps indifferent to what lies ahead. See how Paul said it? Not that I have already attained this equally to torment and torture ourselves of our former misdemeanors, only results in guilt and paralysis. Weakening our courage, impeding our resolve. And Paul says in that context, forget the past, focus on the the tape, keep the goal of Jesus in front of you. By God's grace, let me challenge you with this. You can break the power of the past by living in the present. By living for the now. Now, you can't change the past. And you might say, if only I was brought, if only I was brought up in a family where I was loved. If only my marriage survived. If only I didn't have this ill health. If only I hadn't made that unwise business commitment. You, know, and you meet people, 10, 15 years, and where do they live? In the past. In the past. As a Christian, you can say, the past has been dealt with. So you can't change what's happened, but you can change the impact of what happens. I hope that makes sense. What's happened has happened. You can't change it. You can change the impact and the influence of it. You can. And indeed you must. And in Christ you can. Don't let the past be a stronghold. An area of your life that is a no-go area for Jesus Christ. When I used to visit Northern Ireland, when Hannah and I were visiting family, there were No-go areas. Not for the army, not for the police. Go in one way, come out in a coffin the other. It was a no-go area. It's fearful. It's frightening. Only fools walk in where angels fear to tread. You can be like that in your life. A no-go area. No-go area. Best leave it alone. If we are going to have goals to sustain maturity, the past is over. The past is over. Forget it. I think Wesley was right on that covenant prayer. He breaks the power of cancel sin. That's what he does. Don't let it be a stronghold. Thirdly, the future is beckoning. It's calling. Making its demands on us and our time and our thinking and everything reach for it. Reach for it. Look what Paul says. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards the ahead. the illustration from the Olympic Games. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. The future is beckoning. Reach for it. Go for it. Go for it. And this is the rub. If you and I are going to do that, that means we need to have intense endeavour. Ask yourself a question. When did you last put yourself out as a Christian? Offer to use your car to bring somebody to church. With all your commitment say, yeah, but I'm going to do it. I am actually going to pray. I am going to get round to it. I am. I'm not going to leave it till tomorrow. Reach for it. You don't become an athlete by watching videos of the Olympics. You don't. You don't become a golfer by reading all the books. Some of you golfers probably have had some for Christmas. What you have to do is to get out to do the training, get on the golf course. And you do not become a Christian by simply taking things in and do nothing else about it. So there are two extremes to avoid. The first is this, I must do it all. And some Christian people are very conscientious, overconscientious, conscientious and, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. For some people, church life in this church is exhausting. And it's wrong. But the other extreme is this, if I think I must do it all, then I sit back and say, God must do it all. Or God's people must. And that's just excusing yourself. And that's wrong too. That's wrong too. Both extremes are wrong. But you see how you get this right. This one thing I do. What is the one thing in your life? It'll be different to me, I can assure you. But this one thing. The one thing... That is either negative or positive. The one thing to spur you on, or the one thing to impede your progress. Maybe a negative attitude. That whatever is happening, your perspective, prevents you from growing. From reaching out. Just turn back a page to the famous uh, Philippians 2, that is the source of many hymns and songs. Here it is to get it right. Look at Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Can I do this? Can I actually do this? And what's the balance? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good purpose. And you see, it's not an either or, it's both and. It's both and. We've got one reference. Turn to Luke's Gospel. I I often think that this has been so misunderstood, the substance of many sermons. In, In Luke chapter 10, it's page 1041 in the Church Bible. Just this one reference as we round this off. Luke 10 verse 38. Here it is, the either-or syndrome, the spiritual or the practical. Hands on, hands off. Praying or practical. That sort of thing. Where somehow out of excuse we drive a wedge between these. And somebody says, well I'm a practical Christian. I'm a spiritual Christian. Really. And where do you find that in the Bible? Luke 10 verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him and extended the gift of hospitality. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but there's work to be done. The the dinner doesn't arrive like manna from heaven, does it? Verse 40, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, rather indignantly—look, indignantly—it's in quotations. "Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself?" That's the implication. Tell her to help me because she doesn't listen to me. Family bliss. What does Jesus say? It's—it's a real shock, isn't it? In a way. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. But what comes before that? Verse 42 But only one thing is needed. Of course the dinner needs to be prepared. Of course the work has to be done. No one is saying that. But before that, the one thing that is needed to have a clear focus on the Lord Jesus. This one thing. And in your life and mine, we have to do that. We have to do that, whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's, it, it's in the office, whether it's in the church. This one consuming thing that is non-negotiable in my life. The future is beckoning. Reach for it. One thing. And lastly, and fourthly, the issue is a determined attitude. Maintain it. Maintain it. Look at verses 15 and 16. Coming back to Philippians 3. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, and if you think differently now, that's fine by me. That's okay. I'm not here to manipulate or to indoctrinate. Think differently. That's good, as we have the focus on this one thing. I'm sure those children would be much more comfortable if because they do they speak English. They do. Okay. Um, well, there you are. That's at least it's not your translation, Philip. Okay. This this one thing: forgetting what is behind, straining to what is ahead. Those who are mature should take such a view on things. And if on some points, we think differently, and rightly so, that true God will make clear to you. And here it is. Only, only, let us live up to what we've already attained. In other words, in this year, don't slip back, Don't lose your foothold. We are saying let's sustain maturity, not let it slip from us. Let's not lose our ground. We are to maintain it. And it seems that you have, like this, held in a fine balance, mission and maintenance. And, and some churches say, well, I'm, I'm a mission, I'm a maintenance, as if somehow the one is better than the other. We have to have both, all the time. The issue is a determined attitude, we have to maintain it. And the word mature is an interesting word, it means complete or after you've had a meal and if you're going to have a Sunday uh, roast today you will say at some point this would be a good word would you like some no I am replete I'm replete I've had sufficient it's shalom it's peace that's the word mature not overripe, ready to be thrown out I have come so far I have not arrived I'm ready for the next hurdle the next lesson I haven't stopped how can we conclude? Well, my prayer is that God will give each of us and all of us a sustained maturity, an unflagging determination, a resolve that is not going to be impeded in the months that lie ahead. And so, from Philippians 2, 1 to 11, let me which I'm not going to read to you now for the sake of time. Let me give you an acrostic. These are quite useful sometimes just to try to crystallize what we need to do. The love of Christ is a very powerful thing in our lives. And what do we mean by that? Well, love us in listening. What, what, what is the resolve that you might have? Mine would be, I want to be a better listener. I want to be a better listener. And when others are speaking, rather than thinking, yes, I know what you're saying, but I want to say something, but I want to hear them out. That would be a good resolve, wouldn't it? Love is listening when others are speaking. Oh, is overcoming... Overcoming and forgiving others. Isn't it extraordinary? We can put up with so many things in our own lives and the slightest irritation of other people and we're annoyed. That's how we're made. But love is to do with listening and overcoming other people's foibles and failures. The valuing, valuing each other. It is an, an extraordinary thing, you know, that people often wait until folk have either passed away or moved away that people say nice things about them. It, it's, it's extraordinary that we, we do that sort of thing. We are to value people while they are with us, not when they've gone from us. My father says, give me flowers when I'm alive. Don't put them on my grave. We should value people. That's love, isn't it? Of course it is. It's not sentimental. It's real, strong, sustained love that does something. And it's not just feelings, but E for expressing. Expressing love in practical ways. That people not only hear that we belong to Jesus, but see and know that we do. Those goals will help us sustain maturity and enable us to move forward in the coming days. I want to challenge you by singing a hymn. It's a very thoughtful hymn. We don't sing it very often because it is one that is incredibly humbling, challenging, and demanding. And of course, as you know, it comes out of the prison experience of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not a great evangelical, but one who loved God, loved God's Word, and loved God's people. And out of this comes this prayer, which I guarantee you, if you were to use this as your focus, then you too will grow in grace, and you too will become more mature than you are thus far. O oh God, uh, or by gracious power so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come what may we know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to meet us each new day, each new day of this new year let's stand and sing it together